Good morning, church. I um, really feel, feel humbled standing in front of you, giving the sermon today. I, um, God is good. So please, keep me in your prayer as I'm going along. Amen? Thank you so much. So this morning, um, the title of the sermon, as you see up there, is um, Faithful Worshippers of the True God. So that means there's a distinction. Faithful worshippers or unfaithful worshippers and of the true God. So that means there's a false God. False. Amen? We know that worship is an act of religious devotion usually directed towards a deity. And um, an act of worship may be performed um, individually in an informal or formal group or by a designated leader. And I went to Google to, to uh, Google Dictionary just to look at what it says about worship. There's a verb to worship, which is to show reverence and adoration to a deity, honor with religious rites. And there's the noun worship which is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. For example, the worship of God. And from, thank you, Lara, for the um, scripture reading. And it's up there. And it says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast into the earth, and his angels with him. Revelation 12, verses 7 through to 9. So the question that may be coming to our mind from this scripture could be, what was responsible for this conflict in the very abode of God? The very abode of love, peace, joy, and everything else that we agree or we can agree that is good. What was the cause of this conflict? Um, I need to get rid of this. Thank you. So, did it have to do with worship? That's a question we can ask ourselves. Did it have to do with worship? Uh, Lucifer was part of the worship team then, if we want to put it that way. Who then are the faithful worshippers of the true God? Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this beautiful day. We thank you because you have never left us in the dark about anything you want us to know. Because the Bible says the secret things belong unto you, but those that are revealed to us are revealed for our own for our needs to help us. So, Father, we pray that you come and touch our hearts this morning and please speak through me so that what you want your people to hear today is what they will hear. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, there are different kinds of things that people may see as worship. They think it's worship. There are gatherings termed to be churches all over the world. Um, 
and they behave in strange ways. They gather together and they call it worship. And of course, the congregants accept that it is worship. So in this, um, this one, uh, yes, you can see above this a picture of a church, well, a church in somewhere in Africa. If you can see what the, the guy who is the pastor in the white pants and the black top, he's actually, just a second, um, no, this is the first one, I'm sorry. This lady is eating grass. And if maybe some of us have seen it on the internet somewhere. There's this black um, South African pastor, his name is Lesigo da Legiso Daniel. He makes his congregants to eat grass, and I'm, I think he's from South Africa, and in order for them to be closer to God. This was reported as recent as 2014, okay? And the next slide, it's coming up. Yes, this is the one, it's the same pastor, he's walking on his, he steps and walks on his congregants, using them as a human carpet. And then subsequently, I don't have the slide, he got them to drink petrol, gas, right? Okay, and then the next one talks about, yeah, there's this religious sect in the States, United States of America, unbelievable. Uh, they dance with poisonous snakes during their worship service. This is called snake handling uh, or serpent handling. Um, they are, it's a religious ritual in some isolated churches, mostly in the United States, as I've said. They usually characterized as rural and they are, called, they are a part of what is called the holiness movement. This began a long time ago in the early 20th century in uh, Appalachia. And um, this dancing with snake plays um, a small part in their worship, in their church service. And um, like I said, Appalachia is an area, is a region that stretches from the southern tier of New York to northern Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia. Ah, this is incredible. But it's real. Okay. Members of this sect dance with snakes, poisonous snakes during their worship service. And actually, somebody went online to comment about them. The comment I found it very interesting. Uh, it's a question of the blind leading the blind. He said that um, he believes that they have some great experience with the Lord by handling and dancing with snakes during their worship. But as Seventh-day Adventists, we know better than that. Matthew 24, 24 says, and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive who? Amen, the very elect. Okay, so um, yeah, this is the snake handling preacher. And if I can ask you to play the video, thank you. Uh, oh no. <laughs> is the video gonna play? If it doesn't play, it's fine. It's okay. That other slide with the guy, this particular guy, was um, the preacher who died of snake bites. I'm sorry. We expect that's going to happen because they're dancing, dancing with poisonous snakes, right? The law of nature takes its course. He died. Okay. And also, to continue, on May 11, 2018, Beyonce, the musician, we were informed that she bought a 100-year-old church in New Orleans for $850,000. On May 11, 
On April 25th, 2018, a church in San Francisco, California, Grace Cathedral Church, held a Beyonce Mass. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's Beyonce Mass. What's Linda Mass? So the question now is, is Beyonce now divine? I don't know. Is she to be worshipped? People have conspiracy theories that I'm going to talk, I'm not going to talk about it, about other things. I, but it is not news that his fans, of, her fans do worship her for her musical talents. And um, just like they worship other musicians, they idolize them. Well, I suppose time will tell the purpose of the purchase of the church by Beyonce. We will see. Um, okay, so this is... And then this burning building, do we, do we recognize David Koresh? We know who he was. Okay, I'm not going to say too much about it. So bringing nearer home, there was David Koresh. <laughs> he was the branch leader of the branch... Uh, he was the American leader of the branch Davidian sect. He believed himself to be the final prophet. So, as the leader of the branch Davidians, he claimed that he had cracked the code of the seven seals in the book of Revelation, which predicted the events leading to the apocalypse. So he told his followers that the Lord willed the Davidians, that's the sect, to build an army of God. As a result, they started to put weapons together, stockpiling weapons. On February 28, 1993, the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms raided the Davidians Mount Carmel compound in near Waco, Texas. There was a four-hour gunfight. Some of them died, and also some of the Federal agents also died. And this led to a 51-day standoff between Koresh and the Federal agents. So in April 1993, the Federal Bureau of Investigation launched a tank and tear gas assault on that um, uh, Mount Carmel enclave where they were. And of course, fire spread throughout the compound, killing more than six dozen inhabitants. And Koresh himself was found dead uh, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. You see, I don't believe this is the way of God. This is definitely not the kind of worship that God is asking us you know, to give to him. I mean, it is not rocket science to deduct that in view of the fact that these Davidians were stockpiling weapons for some physical war, they were neither involved in an acceptable worship of the true God or were they faithful worshipers of the true God. And sadly so, we know he was a Seventh-day Adventist. He broke away. But you see, the Bible says we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. So that is why it's incumbent upon us as Seventh-day Adventists. We should not sit on what we believe. Just don't relax and be complacent and say we know it all. No, we don't. We have to continue to go to the word of God because David was a Seventh-day Adventist. But see how he ended. So, you know, let us continue to just study the word of God, pray and seek for the Holy Spirit guidance. Amen? Having shown all that, and now onto the topic, who are the faithful worshippers of the true God? The issue of worship, you can slash faithful worshippers of the true God, had begun from the very beginning. It was at the very heart of the issue of how sin began. In the, great, in the great controversy, Ellen White says the angels in heaven gave worship to God. They acknowledged the supremacy of Christ and prostrating themselves before him, they poured out their love and adoration. Lucifer also bowed with them, but in his heart there was a strange, fierce conflict. So truth, justice, and loyalty were said to be struggling 
against envy and jealousy in the heart of Lucifer. Yet, he appeared before God. He was worshipping with all the other angels. It's very interesting. I always say to myself that it's a good thing that God doesn't allow the next person to see what I'm thinking and vice versa because there will be, there'll be big problems because we have issues with what we're thinking. And I know that. And I'm asking God to help me too. So Lucifer was there. The other angels didn't know what was in his heart. But of course, God knows everything. So let us check ourselves and see if as professed faithful worshippers of God, we have truth, justice, and loyalty struggling against envy and jealousy in our hearts. Am I envious of my neighbor? Do I want what belongs to my neighbor? Let us search our hearts, and I'm, by the grace of God, searching my hearts. So, okay. In Micah 8, 6, we, you know, we say, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? How do we know? The Bible says he has shown you, O man, what is good. This is what God has shown you. What is good? What does God want from me? What does God require of thee? One, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Amen? Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15 and 17 tell us that Lucifer's heart was filled, lifted up. He sought worship and wanted to be like the Most High. That is a very tall ambition, you would say. So who then are faithful worshippers of the true God? What are the attributes of this group? What are the expectations from their God whom they worship? Jesus says, God is spirit, and they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, one, I would say, as faithful worshippers, we must have practical faith. Amen. You have to have faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must have practical faith, like the Samaritan woman at the well. We must, as true disciples, be born into the kingdom of God as missionaries. We must drink of the, living, of the living water. We must go out to share the love of Jesus. We have faith, we believe, we love Jesus. Then we have to let others know. We have to share what we believe with others. Apart from the fact that Jesus tells us to go make disciples of all nations. So it's even an obligation on us. We go outside distributing literature as we did last Sabbath along with the master guides and pathfinders who came to worship with us. This is something that should be, um, I mean, uh, something we should be doing all the time. It should be something we do all the time, not just once in a while. The first angel's message of Revelation 14.7 is a call to worship. Actually, the three angels' messages deal with worship. First and second commandments focus on worship. They tell us God is to be worshipped. Two, as faithful worshippers of God, we need a savior because we have sinned. Romans 3.20. We also need a mediator because we continue to sin. Three, as faithful worshippers of the true God, we must not be caught in the group that is referred to in Isaiah 29 verse 13. Isaiah 29 verse 13 says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. That is very strong. Our hearts have to remain with God. And we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. 
and we are not to follow the commandment of men. It's very hard because I know we all have our own ideas, maybe some of us, with due respect, of what we have heard. This is what's supposed to be. But you see, we go to the word of God because as Seventh-day Adventists, if it is not in the Bible, is it for us? No. We believe what is in the Bible, and that is what we accept. As faithful worshippers of God, we need a savior because we have sinned, and we also need a mediator because we continue to sin. Okay? So we must not remove our hearts from God. Number four, faithful worshippers are to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Amen? Hebrews 12, 28 to 29, God, this, this says we are... Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. From this scripture, we see that it talks about serving God. If you will, we can say worship God acceptably. So what does that tell us? Let us keep our focus on the word acceptably or or acceptable. It tells us that there is an unacceptable way to worship God. So how do we ensure we worship God acceptably? The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is the way of death. Down through the centuries, the issue of worship has been the center focus and also is in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. In Daniel 3, Verses 16 to 18, we see the story of the three Hebrew boys, Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego. These boys refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. They would rather die should God choose not to deliver them. As prophet Saul said to Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. And we know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the story, the rest of the scripture, to heed It's better than the fat of rams. What was the context of this statement by Prophet Samuel? Shortly, put it briefly, God had, through his prophet, told King Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites and fight against them until they were consumed. Rather, Saul and the people of Israel took sheep, oxen, which should have been utterly destroyed according to the commands of God. They brought them to sacrifice unto God. However, we know that God rejected Saul from being king because Saul rejected the word of God. So we see the correlation or the connection of obedience and worship. We can't say we're true worshippers of God and not be obedient to God. Clearly, the worship by King Saul in this instance constitutes unacceptable worship because it was not out of obedience to God. We also see the type of worship by Cain and Abel. God rejected Cain's worship because it was not out of obedience to God. And I humbly say that not obeying God is rejecting the word of God. Amen? Revelation 14, 19, Then the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead, or on his hand. Ah. So this angel's message is warning us against a type of worship. Worship of the beast and his image. And there is consequence for doing that. 
As Seventh-day Adventists, we know of the three angels' messages, and if not, I implore us to ensure that we know and understand them. It is a must for us to know and understand the three angels' messages. Because these are the last days of human history. We say it every time we hear it, we can see the signs being fulfilled. These are the messages for the final days. Issue of worship. The signs predicted by Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 are being fulfilled one after the other. We see all these news, all these nat natural disasters, all this hatred, wickedness, things that never used to happen, the uh, um, rise of all those terrorist groups, ISIS, and the things that they do to people. It's unbelievable. Yes, I can say with confidence that I worship on the seventh day, just like we, call, we all can. And I can say that, yes, I return faithful tithe, and I think I'm okay. Am I really? Is that enough? Is that all that is required of a faithful worshiper of God? With due respect, I would say no to that question. Reason because if we're not living by faith, the faith of Jesus, and resting our lives on the principles of the Ten Commandments, we will not ultimately resist the temptation of Satan to join other type of worship. Let's just say that again. If we don't live by the faith of Christ and we don't rest our lives on the principles of the Ten Commandments, we're not going to be able to resist Satan's temptation to join the other type of worship, that is, the unacceptable, unacceptable worship, knowingly or unknowingly. I'd like to point out at this juncture that, and I'm not saying that we're saved by keeping the law. No one is saved by keeping the law, that is, the Ten Commandments. But we cannot be saved without keeping the law. Amen? Oh, that makes sense? We're saved by grace through faith, but then we're saved to keep the law. Amen? The Bible says, show me your works, and I'll show you your faith. Like, I can't say, oh, I give my life to Christ, and uh, once forgiven, once saved, always saved. No. Because the devil is still around. He hasn't gone yet. There's temptation. We still do things that we shouldn't do with sin, but then we have an advocate in heaven. That's why Jesus Christ is our mediator now. So, the Ten Commandments are very important. We're not saved by keeping the law, but we're saved to keep the law. Because we're going to be judged by the law of liberty, which is the Ten Commandments. Amen? Okay. Um, James 1, 22 to 25, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Amen? Revelation 13.8 says, all that dwell on earth will worship the beast. That's very scary because we all dwell on earth. So am I going to worship the beast? Where are we going to dwell? We're here. There's nowhere else to go. If we dwell on earth, we will worship the beast. But if we choose to be set, to be set apart or set ourselves apart, we will not worship the beast. So the antidote to worshiping the beast is to set ourselves apart. 
be in this world but not be of the world right we're in this world but we're not of the world that's what jesus says so the question is how do we set ourselves apart jesus christ in his john 17 prayer for the church said we are not of this world we're not of this world even though we're in this world we live in this world how about that but our business in the world is to let our light shine we live in this world but we're not supposed to be of this world so what our business is in the world is to let our light shine so shine before others to point them to god we're admonished to put to death things that are of sinful nature and to flee from immorality in essence it takes us back to the ten commandments not the ten suggestions because that is what teaches us is a mirror of god what god is it teaches us what we're supposed to go do god has not hidden anything from us the ten commandments as a whole unit is a mirror of who our god is that is we're, we're to act according to the new nature we have been given at our spiritual rebirth rather than the sinful nature of the world jesus christ came to this world but he wasn't of this world he was not it is explained by a preacher man that talking about the earth and those who live in it is much more than the physical it is referring to a spiritual concept so spiritually we should not be of this world but here we're physical we're here and i would agree with him if our mind dwells on things of the earth and we continue with earthly sensuous things we are dwelling upon the earth and we will worship the beast for us to be faithful worshipers of the true god our minds must dwell on christ and his character this is an impossibility for anyone unless such a person has surrendered his or her whole self to christ so the key for us to set our minds on christ is to surrender our whole self to christ philippians 3 18 through to 20 says for many walk of whom i have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of christ whose end is destruction whose god is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior the lord jesus christ i think the difference has to do with how our minds how our mind thinks and how we act on these thoughts because remember we're still in this world but we're not supposed to be of this world because the bible says for as he thinketh so is his heart so faithful worshipers of the true god would keep their minds off earthly things and fill them with christ yes we can say it is easier said than done maybe i agree but we can do all things through christ who strengthens us and we make choices on a daily basis choices every moment lucifer made his own choice when he decided to go against god's regime in heaven god wants us to worship him out of love not out of fear or compulsion so we, we pray that may the lord continue to help us as we make these daily choices so that we can choose to be faithful worshipers of god um, james 3 14 to 16 tells us to avoid bitter envy and strife in our hearts remember the issues with lucifer in the very beginning 
leading to the origin of sin and evil, envy and strife. That has no place with God. We cannot be envious of our neighbors. We cannot covet our neighbors' things because I suppose covetousness comes out of envy. You, like, you say it, you wish you had it. Oh, I wish I was like that. May the Lord help us. Amen? If we are faithful worshippers of the true God, we have to let go of every ambition to have supremacy over another, another person. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. I ask myself, before I put it to, to my brothers and sisters or to anyone else, do I esteem the other person better than myself? Do we esteem others better than ourselves? Ah, this is food for thought. We cannot... We cannot fool God. God sees our heart. But we need to think about that. But that's what God wants us to do. Because Jesus Christ esteemed us better than him because he left and he came. He left his own glory to come and die for us. So he should be our example. If I don't esteem the other better than me, I should and must. If I do not make my goal to be such as to put away envy, jealousy, and, or, or pride, every evil work will be the record of my life. Remember the story of Lucifer? That's exactly what happened to him. Every evil work is what we're seeing in this, in this world now. And God helping me, I don't want that to be the case. So we have to have the mind of Jesus Christ in us. Then Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Yes. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. When Paul is saying this, it's just, just blowing air. He's admonishing us. And we can what we need is the mind of Christ. Mind of Jesus, who being in the form of man, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So, Jesus Christ is our example, and we know the prize that is waiting for us. We know uh, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. All we need to do is just ask God to help us to be able to live in this world so that we'll be worthy of that eternal kingdom. Amen? Number five, we as faithful worshippers of the true God must follow the principles of wisdom from above. Of wisdom from above, James 3, 17 and 18 has something to say about this. And this is what it says, James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I need that kind of wisdom. How about you? We know that there's so many kinds of, different kinds of wisdoms in this world, but this is the, the wisdom we need is that from above. Nobody is wise. God is wiser than all of us. We don't even know anything. God uses the things of the earth, you know, to confound us. He uses things we can't even understand, right? His wisdom is different from ours. 
Is it easy to do these things when people are not nice to us, such as in our workplaces, wherever we are, neighbors? What should our reaction be? I know for certain we should not return with angry words. We're not supposed to. We shouldn't treat them as they treat us because that is not like Christ. But isn't that the normal thing? That's what you feel like doing. And I dare say is the worldly thing to do, like you hit me, I want to hit you back type of thing. No, no, we have to be kind and gentle. And I tell you that I struggle with this also. I remember there was a lady, there's a lady in my workplace. When I got there, you know, honestly, what I thought was that she was just being territorial. And I thank God for God's wisdom from above. So she would always second guess me, always tell me, oh, that's not how we used to do things. And I thought to myself that, okay, how about thinking outside the box? Like, okay, that's not how you used to do things. How about we think outside the box? But I did, I did really struggle with it because she was really giving me headaches. But with the grace of God, I was able to become her friend, and now we're great friends. Now she knows that, oh, Linda, yeah. So, I mean, so these things happen. It's only with grace of God that we're able to overcome. So we must be full of mercy, the Bible says. This is another attribute of faithful worshipers of the true God. To be faithful worshipers, our lives must be a witness by the good fruits of character, justice, mercy, and humility. Thereby, we're in harmony with the Ten Commandments. As faithful worshippers of the true God, love must be our ruling passion. That's the example of Christ. Joy must be our underlying attitude. And peace must be in our hearts at all times, no matter how provoked. Number six, as faithful worshippers of the true God, we must have true and real freedom from Satan. True and real freedom from Satan. How do we do this? By turning ourselves over to Jesus every day we wake up. We must continually rely on God's promises for our lives, such that if we cannot feel God's presence, let us go back to his promises, which are yea and amen. Let us reaffirm our faith in the promises and trust God for the outcome. Ellen White says, It is only as we forget how God has led in the past that we'll be anxious for the future. If we remember what God had done for us in the past, then we can trust, standing on his promises, that he'll take care of us in the future. And Romans 8.28 also tells us that our struggles are ordained for our own benefits. So we need to believe that. We need to accept God's promises and then know that he has the best plans for us. As we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The time of trouble is coming when faithful worshippers of the true God we will have to totally rely on the promises of God. We are going to have nothing else but the promises to rely on because the time is coming. So what do we say about practicing that from now? Let us keep, in, keep looking to our source of supply, which is God. God's wisdom required by the faithful worshippers will assist us to navigate our daily lives. Wisdom keeps us from making mistakes. Amen? Okay, that... Um Isaiah 30, verse 32 says, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. The still small voice we know is the Holy Spirit promised to believers. Worship God in spirit and in truth. The voice may not be audible one, it may not be an audible one, but as faithful worshippers of the true God, we are tuned into it. When we worship God faithfully, when we are faithful worshipers of the true God, we are tuned into that small, still voice. 
and we will sense the impression of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. The voice will point out to us when we are faced with temptations to do wrong. It will prompt us to turn from it and reject it. This is how, as faithful worshippers of the true God, we have victory over sin. With the Holy Spirit guiding us and with our inner souls under the control of heaven, then whatever problem, whatever chaos, whatever circumstances, whatever difficulties, whatever pain, Christ infuses wisdom. He infuses goodness and power to joyfully stir us through them with grace. Amen? He says, in this world you shall meet with tribulations, but be of what? Be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. He has also promised that he will never allow temptations greater than us to overcome us. So dear brothers and sisters, let us learn to depend on God, to live with full confidence of God's power and love for us. Amen? Number seven, as faithful worshippers of the true God, we are to be conscious of the close of probation. It's coming. If we remain faithful worshippers, we must expect to be forbidden to buy or sell unless we have the mark of the beast. Revelation 13, 17 tells us no one will buy or sell except he has a mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. It is coming. It's the Bible. It doesn't lie. It's going to come. We will be faced with a choice. God or dot, 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 dot. Or be faithful worshippers or what, dot, 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 dot. When that time comes, as now, we will have to rely on God's promises. When that time comes, and as now, we will have to rely on God's promises because we have nothing else to, go, to rely upon because the time of trouble is coming. Promises again. Let us remember that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He provided manna for the children of Israel in their wanderings in the wilderness. And let's remember God's promise that his hand is not short. And let's remember that we can trust him. Um, Sister White says on close of probation. Okay. Mm, sorry, I'll go back a little bit. Okay, maybe it's not there. He says, she says, probation closes when the work of the investigative judgment closes. The destiny of all will have been decided for life or death. Probation is ended a short time before the appearing of the Lord in the clouds of heaven. And that is from Great Controversy, page 490. Number eight, as faithful worshippers of the true God, we must gladly develop the principles of total dependence of God over time as God is working in our lives. You know, when we're saved by faith through grace, saved by grace through faith, I'm sorry, um, we become justified. And then from that moment, the process of sanctification begins in our lives sanctification we're growing sometimes we fall but you know with the help of god we repent continue to grow and then when jesus christ comes is when we're going to be justified there'll be justification so we should we should gradually develop the principles of total dependence of god over time as god is working in our lives through the process of sanctification we should practice that now that is total dependence on god otherwise we may face the temptation to compromise our faith, which as faithful worshippers of the true God, we should not compromise. Jesus did not compromise for us. He went all the way to Calvary. God wants to get his faithful worshippers to a place where we could fully depend on his power and not our own. 
That's going to be a beautiful place. We need, all need to get there in our process of sanctification. Okay. Um, Isaiah 33, verse 16. Okay, that's not it. I'm sorry, Isaiah 33, Isaiah 30, verse 20. Yes, and although the Lord give you the bread of, sorry, I'll just back up a little bit. Isaiah 33, verse 16 says, our bread and water will be sure. That is God's promise. Isaiah 30, 20 says, Although the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. So what's he saying here? He says bread and water will be sure. Bread, adversity, water of affliction are our teachers to help us learn to trust God. He will sustain when we have no other means of support. In these last days, God will give maximum power for the maximum crisis to be faced by his faithful worshipers. I like that. Maximum power for maximum crisis. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. My brothers and sisters, let us endure to the end so that we shall be saved. Number nine, faithful worshipers will have the fruit of the Spirit. I knew that has to be there. Galatians 5.22 the attributes of, of course, would include temperance. Temperance is an attribute that faithful worshippers should have. Fruit of the Spirit. That word again, temperance. As faithful worshippers, we must have temperance, not just abstaining from alcohol, tobacco, coffee, drugs, which I believe we should all abstain from as Seventh-day Adventists by virtue of our vows to God at our baptism. Make vows to God. God cannot be mocked. I believe temperance has to do with our whole life. Everything must be in balance. What we eat, how much we eat, exercise, how long we work and overwork, Another aspects of body health, self-control, and imbalance. I most certainly need some help in some of these areas, definitely. Some of us work too much, overwork, don't rest enough, so the Lord will help us. I don't know about you. Maybe we all do need help in these areas. Temperance is defined Wikipedia as moderation or voluntary self-restraint. It is typically described in terms of what an individual voluntarily refrains from doing. Interestingly, uh, I saw uh, a picture caption temperance identifying what and how young ladies, there was this picture I saw of the ladies, um, they, uh, they're called the lovely ladies of the temperance movement. They carried a banner which has written on it as follows. The lips that touch liquor shall not touch ours. I kind of thought it was cute. These are young ladies. So they're saying that any man who approaches them for their hands must not be somebody who drinks. So uh, you can Google it if you want to say it. You can say it. Faithful worshippers would be wholly consecrated to God like Daniel. We would do nothing that would defile us. And um, the next PowerPoint is Ellen G. White in um, My Life Today. He says that the highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is self-control. He who can stand unmoved in the storm of abuse is one of God's heroes. How I love this. I also heard a preacher say once, self-control has to do with the balance of the mind. When we have no balance of the mind, we have no self-control. But we need divine grace, which we can have when we give ourselves to Christ every moment of our lives. We cannot trust ourselves, but we can do everything through Christ. Amen? 
Because the very things we want to do, we don't do them. Like Paul said, like, I'm going to do this, I won't do that. But we find that we don't do this or we do not, on, not do that. Martin Luther, the reformer, understood the principle of needing divine grace for daily living when he said, ah, oh, it's quite interesting. I'm more afraid of my own heart than the Pope and all his cardinals. I have within me the greatest Pope self. These are from favorite Martin Luther quotes. Yes, we all do. The greatest Pope that we have is self within us. Number 10, to be faithful worshipers, we must daily let go of our self-centeredness. Take God of the universe in our hearts. Even Jesus Christ said that he didn't do anything of his own will, but of the will of his Father. Our individual prayer as faithful worshipers should be that God should make me a captive so I can be free. Make me a captive so I can be free. Faithful worshipers need to resign the crown of, resign the crown of life and give it to Christ. Faithful worshipers will give all their will, earthly ambition, worldly desires to Christ. There's no middle ground here. It is either we are faithful worshipers of the true God or we are not. Nobody can sit on the fence. Our will must be submitted to the will of Christ. We must act with his spirit. Then it is no, no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. Galatians 2.20. What I'm trying to say is that faithful worshipers must be under total control of Jesus Christ. There is no sitting on the fence. And um, also, I think I have an... Yes, Ellen G. White says about half and a half, and half service. He says he places human agent on the side of the enemy as a successful ally of the host of darkness. That's very serious because if I do half and half, so this is what I am, I'm a human agent on the side of the enemy, and I know that we do not want to be that. Faithful worshippers must love Christ as must love as Christ loves and practice self-control. Jeremiah 33, 33 says, let us call upon Christ when tempted to retaliate. Christ and his glory must be our compelling interest. We must love as Christ loves with all our hearts and mind. So to just summarize, to be faithful worshipers uh, of the true God, in summary and closing, our life mission is to control our passion. Two, we must love Christ with all our hearts and mind. Three, we must love our neighbors as ourselves. Four, we will never fall into losing our self-control. Five, we will not yield to passion or compromise our standing. Six, it will be our priority to ask, what will Jesus do in this situation? Acronym WWJD, what will Jesus do? That is, how would Jesus react? Seven, being a faithful worshiper of the true God is a way of living, and it is a living way. Eight, I see it as a secret to happiness because it involves complete obedience to God. Somebody says, what is true happiness? True happiness, money, cars, house, what? No, it is as we obey God. That is when we're truly happy. Because we know when we disobey God, we know something, something goes wrong in our hearts. We know that. We become guilty. We start imagining that we have people coming after us. We have enemies and we make mistakes. Then number nine, of course, we must confess and repent of our sins. Ask forgiveness and give forgiveness to others. We must not harbor sins in our hearts. May the Almighty God give us his peace to open our hearts to him, fill our hearts with his love, and bring us to the experience of being faithful worshippers of him, the only true God. God bless us all, and happy Sabbath to you. <laughs>